Greetings, friends, and welcome to another Sunday Fun Day edition of the Royal Ramble on this beautiful spring afternoon. I apologize if you've been missing my sexy voice for the last week. I had to take last week off due to the holiday, but you got a double shot the previous week, and I'm looking to get back into the swing of things today, as there's plenty to talk about. Much like the weather is a change, and it seems like the mood is about to change in both WWE and AEW very shortly. That doesn't mean that Taz is on his way back to the WWE anytime soon, although it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but there is plenty going on within the wrestling community that we just can't ignore. Before we get to some of those changes, I want to first address the situation in Impact Wrestling, as they are now left without two of their major players. Well, technically Brian Myers and Matt Cardona are still around, but I'm talking about the now former Impact World Champion Josh Alexander and former Impact Knockouts Champion Mickey James, both of whom had to vacate their titles within about a few days of each other due to injuries. There was speculation that Mickey would still be competing for the Knockouts title at Rebellion this weekend, but she unfortunately made the announcement last week that she hasn't been medically cleared yet and thus will not be at the event, so a new Knockouts champ will be crowned. It's amazing to me that despite these two major injuries, the company is still able to press forward and promote what still looks like an impressive card. Now, I had originally planned to review the Impact Rebellion event in today's episode, but then I realized that the event is actually tonight instead of last night or even Friday as per usual. So what I'm going to do instead is preview the show. I did leave my thoughts and predictions on the Facebook board, but for those who missed it, here it is. Due to Josh Alexander's injury, the world title will now be decided in a one-on-one -on -one match between Steve Macklin and Kushida. For those who may be unaware, Alexander was scheduled to defend his title against Macklin at this event and also Kushida at the Multiverse United event last month, but had to pull out of both matches due to injury, which I understand requires surgery and thus he will be out indefinitely, so I wish him a speedy recovery. As far as this match, while it does make sense for these two to be involved given the circumstances that they were each supposed to receive title matches, it's not a main event that is setting the world on fire by any means. In fact, I don't expect this to go on last, especially considering the outcome which I'm about to predict. I have never been a fan of Macklin, nor do I understand his appeal. He's just a very bland character to me and an average wrestler. He also seems like Impact's version of Baron Corbin, so total go-away heat for me. That said, with Josh Alexander out indefinitely, I think it still makes more sense to have a heel champion, so that there's a built-in story for when Alexander returns, so I think Macklin wins this match and has a long run with the belt, potentially until Josh comes back, similar to how Triple H basically was the WWE when Austin got injured. Not that I'm comparing Macklin to Triple H, but similar scenario. A new Knockouts champion will also be crowned in the match between Jordan Grace and Deanna Perrazzo. Nothing against Mickey James, but I think this match might actually be better without her in it. Not because Mickey isn't good, but just because I've always preferred titles to be decided one-on-one. -on -one. I'm kind of surprised that they haven't really addressed the history between Grace and Perrazzo, especially with Perrazzo winning her first knockouts title from Jordan in 2020, and Jordan never getting her win back. Funny how no one ever talks about that, yet those same fans were whining about Rhea Ripley never beating Charlotte until recently. This could be a very strong match, and like I mentioned with Alexander, having the injured former champion coming back to reclaim their title is a story that writes itself, and I think it makes more sense for a heel to win. That said, I think Jordan will end up winning, but they might do a double turn, similar to the Del Rio and Ziggler program in WWE all those years ago. 
I think Diana has done just about all she can as a heel, and it'll be interesting to see her as a babyface. But I can also see her winning, and then her and Macklin becoming the power couple of Impact, as they are a real-life couple. You also have the option to turn Mickey when she returns. A lot of possible directions here. The 10-person Hardcore War is on the card as well. It'll be Team Bully versus Team Dreamer. I've never been a fan of these types of matches. It seems like a hardcore match just for the sake of it, with all these extra bodies unnecessarily thrown in. I can see the babyface team winning, and then Bully doing the heel thing and blaming someone else for the loss, perhaps Moose, who turns face and then feuds with Bully coming out of this. The X Division Championship will be on the line in a three-way elimination match between Trey Miguel, Speedball Mike Bailey, and Jonathan Gresham. I mentioned earlier that I don't like triple threat matches, but there's always an exception to the rule, and I think the exception lies within the X Division. This match should be the show stealer, but I can't see the champion losing his title in a three-way, so I think Trey will end up winning through some kind of underhandedness, and then start a singles program with Bailey, with Bailey finally winning the title back at Slammiversary, which is the anniversary of the first time he won it a year ago. The Ultimate X match is another potential show stealer. It'll be for the tag team titles with Chris Bay and Ace Austin representing Bullet Club, defending against the Motor City Machine Guns. I can see this one opening the show and starting it off hot. However, I can't see a title change here, as Bullet Club just won them recently. I can see a gun split though, potentially with Shelly going heel, especially considering that Saban recently celebrated an anniversary in the promotion, so Shelly may feel slighted. The six-man tag between the design and the team of Santino Morella, Dirty Dango, and Joe Hendry is easily skippable and will likely be my bathroom break. I have no interest in any of these characters, and my hope is that they at least keep this one short. I can see the babyface team winning and then Diener blaming Callahan for the loss, adding more fuel to the fire between those two, who will likely have their blow-off match at Slammiversary in Monsters Ball. Speaking of blow-off matches, I can only hope that the last rights match between Eddie Edwards and PCO is the culmination of their feud, which has been underwhelming since the get-go. Fortunately, despite my disinterest in the program, they actually do put on great matches, so I'm expecting the same in this one. I think the only person who may give Eddie a run for his money as the worst promo in all of wrestling is his wife Alicia. Her promo following her heel turn I thought was complete trash, and I just tried my best to tune her out. This is basically Impact's version of the casket match, and if it is the culmination of the feud, I'd imagine the babyface has to win, so I think Eddie goes in the casket, and hopefully then gets repackaged after this and starts a new program following a short absence. Rounding out tonight's card is the Knockouts Tag Title match between the Coven and Death Dolls, and I ask the question once again, what is the point of these titles? These are pretty much the only two teams in the division. In fact, I can see this match getting bumped to the pre-show, and I wouldn't have a problem with it. As I mentioned with the men's tag titles, the Coven just won them, and I believe this is their first defense, so I can't see them losing this quickly. They seem to be teasing dissension between Jessica and Rosemary, so I can see a breakup happening there too, and the champs retain. So that is Rebellion, which takes place tonight right here in Toronto. If anyone listening is going to the show, please post your thoughts and maybe some pics to the Facebook group. Moving along, I spoke about major changes earlier. We are about two months away from summertime here in the Western Hemisphere, and things are already starting to heat up. Tony Khan continues to trend. He has a few big shows lined up for the summer, including the huge Forbidden Door event at the end of June, which will take place right here in Toronto. 
I just discovered also that the go-home dynamite before Forbidden Door is in Chicago, and we all know whose home city that is. So the big question is, will he or won't he? I think perhaps a bigger question is, will anybody care? On a personal level, as it relates to CM Punk, I'm kind of over it at this point. He seems like a big fan of his own hype. But I cannot deny the fact that he's still the biggest draw in AEW short history, so if there is still money to be made with him, I think they'd be pretty foolish to leave it sitting on the table for someone else to walk along and try to pick it up. The good news here is that Punk has made it clear that he wants nothing to do with WWE, and I don't think UFC sees any value in him, so AEW may be his only option at this point. They just brought back Jeff Hardy this week, so bringing Punk back is not necessarily out of the question but I'm struggling to understand why he would even want to come back, or why anyone would want to work with talent, and especially EVPs, that they don't like. Sure, you'd expect them to let bygones be bygones and be professional about it, but it's not like Brawl Out was like 10 years ago. It's been less than a year, and I somehow doubt that the parties involved would have matured since then, or learned to put differences aside. I can see all of them being stubborn enough to not want to sit down and talk it over like mature adults, especially Punk. But I don't know them personally, so who really knows for sure? Punk has also run down the whole company pretty much, and people within it, so there's still a lot of unresolved issues there in my opinion. If he does come back, I think Chicago would be the place to do it, and he would need to act professional and leave the political BS at home. Another major announcement made by Tony Khan recently, which was for the first time in as long as I can remember, an actual major announcement. The AEW president announced recently that the company will be going overseas for the all-in pay-per-view in August. Not only will AEW make its debut in London, England, but they will also be performing at Wembley Stadium. This is quite an ambitious move for Khan. I'm not sure if they have much of a following in Europe, but I guess we'll find out soon enough. John Pollock brought up a good point recently in one of his post updates that when WWE went to Wembley in 92, it wasn't exactly one of their peak years, so I think AEW may have just as good a chance as they did back then. But they really need to promote this as strong as they can, and I would save any huge match idea they have for this show instead of giving them away for free. I don't think it's out of the question for Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr. to take part. In fact, we may get the Sabre vs. Danielson match that we were promised last year. I can also see them bringing in Harry Smith for this one show. And the other big thing I can see happening is the potential in-ring return of Nigel McGuinness. I think it'll be a one-off for him, but they would need to find the right opponent who will not only put on a tremendous match, but also work safer so as to not affect Nigel's history of concussions. I'll end this episode by talking about some of the changes that have been brewing in WWE lately. What a difference a week makes, because since the last time you listened to this show, the WWE has officially been sold. They were bought out by Endeavor, which is the parent company of the UFC, so it'll be interesting to see if there are any crossovers between promotions, as the two talent rosters are now operating under, under the same umbrella, and Vince McMahon and his mustache now finally have someone to report to, which can't be a bad thing. In fact, I hear that Paul Levesque is still in charge of WWE Creative, which is probably the best wrestling news I've heard all week. He'll have to be creative because the WWE Draft is coming at us in a couple of weeks. I was dreading the thought of ever hearing that term again, but I must say that I'm much more optimistic with it being in the hands of Triple H. I still don't think the idea of the Draft makes sense without a figurehead for each show to make picks but my hope is that they actually stick to it this time, instead of having random brand crossovers every month with no explanation. 
I'm hoping talent can actually get pushed here. I am expecting a few NXT call-ups. I can see Braun Breaker, Roxanne Perez, and the Creed Brothers all coming up. I think Zoe Stark is another one that can be added to the main roster. And likewise, I can see some current WWE roster members being transferred to NXT. I think this would be a good place for maximum male models, Dolph Ziggler, Mustafa Ali, Shotzi, Aliyah, and basically everyone else who is either being underutilized or not used at all. I can see factions being split. The Bloodline is the only one that I can see remaining whole, with them now moving over to Raw, though I do think Roman should be defending his title on both brands. In fact, I'd expect a new title design to be revealed shortly for both the Universal and Tag Team titles. Speaking of the tag titles, I do think the Usos are getting those back next week, though I can also see them failing to win them. Either way, it adds to the story. Cody Rhodes I see moving over to SmackDown and becoming the top star there. I can see Judgment Day splitting up with Rhea staying on Raw while the rest of the group goes to SmackDown. In fact, I think Rhea and Bianca possibly end up on the same show and they unify the women's belts. I would like to see them abolish the women's tag belts altogether, but I can't see that happening. Ronda and Shayna, I think, are moving over to Raw and eventually winning the tag belts. I've heard that Damage Control may be headed for Splitsville as well. I can see each of them ending up on a different show with EO staying on Raw, Bayley going to SmackDown, and possibly Dakota moving to NXT. It is a little weird to me that they're doing a draft a week before the premium live event, but like previous years, I can see them saying that it'll take effect after the pay-per-view so as to not mess with current storylines. Either way it goes, we're in for a hell of a summer. I will be back next week with a review of the Impact pay-per-view Rebellion. Until then, I'll leave you with an A-B-C-Y-A.